The Leach Report Radio Network is on the air across Kentucky with the voice of the Wildcats, Tom Leach. This is your chance to get the latest news and views on your cats. The show is served up by Wild Eggs of Lexington. And you can interact with Tom by tweeting at Leach Report or by emailing leachreport at gmail.com. And you can call the drinksword.com hotline, 877-904-1080. Now, here's Tom Leach. Hello, everybody. Welcome in to our show for a chilly Wednesday as we get set to talk UK football and basketball over the course of this hour. Chris Fisher from Cat's Paws will join us. Kyle Tucker from The Athletic. And we'll work in a little Breeders' Cup conversation with Dick Girardi, who joins us ahead of uh, all the big races. And the Breeders' Cup is coming up this weekend out at Del Mar in Southern California, where chilly weather is not a topic of conversation. <laughs> and uh, we'll get from uh, Dick Girardi maybe a little, a few picks for Breeders' Cup weekend. Let us jump right into the Wildcat news of the day. It is a service of Giuseppe's of Lexington. College football playoff rankings released by the committee last night that Mitch Barnhart is a part of now in uh, in the rotation on that committee. And it's Georgia, Alabama, Michigan State, and Oregon, the top four in the first set of rankings. Um, and the committee chairman who uh, talked about it after they were released said that there wasn't much debate about Alabama at number two, but there was a lot of debate from three through ten. Ohio State, Cincinnati are five and six. The the undefeated Bearcats being sixth with a win at Notre Dame will uh, cause a lot of consternation among college football pundits. Then you've got among the SEC teams, Auburn 13, Texas A&M 14, Ole Miss 16, Mississippi State 17, Kentucky at number 18 in the first college football playoff rankings. As far as um, just a New Year's six-day bowl in general, Kentucky obviously has to win out, and then we'll need uh, a good bit of help. That's a lot of spots to pass. However, four of them are in the league, and those teams uh, have games against each other left. Ole Miss and Mississippi State will play each other. Mississippi State goes to Auburn, and there are others. So if... They beat up on each other, and Kentucky keeps winning. Then Kentucky's best shot for one of those biggest bowls might be for Alabama to stay in the top four and Kentucky to end up the highest-ranked SEC team to get uh, the next slot, which would be the Sugar Bowl. But, I mean, we're doing a lot, of obviously, of uh, speculating. And at this point, after a performance like Kentucky had last Saturday, they just need to beat the Vols on Saturday. And then you can start to have do do more of that scoreboard watching if you're a Kentucky fan. You really no need to worry about that right now. If you take care of Tennessee, then you're going to be uh, you know a big favorite against Vandy and New Mexico State and you're going to be probably a good bit more healthy by the time you face uh, Louisville and uh, you'll be favored there not as much as you will be on those other two but still be a solid favorite. So, you know, you can think about some of those other issues once you get past the Vols uh, is probably the right mindset for a Kentucky fan and certainly for the Kentucky players. Liam Cohen and the offensive uh, side of the ball the, talked yesterday to the media after practice. Cohen said Chris Rodriguez uh, looks good in the first two practices of the week. said, quote, he has the right mindset this week after um, a couple of subpar outings. And he said he'll come out with a different mentality. 
And Cohen also said we need to get the running game back and to get our balance back. And if Kentucky does that, they can have success running the football against Tennessee, then I uh, feel much better about their chances. We'll see if it happens on Saturday night. Blair Green, successful surgery for a ruptured Achilles, so we wish her well in her recovery. Links to the stories that we talk about can be found on the Bud Light Leach Report page at TomLeachKY.com. We're coming to you from the Clark's Pump and Shop Studio in Lexington. And our Wildcat News of the Day is presented by Giuseppe's of Lexington. Live jazz every night when you have a wonderful meal at Giuseppe's. It's a real dining experience with great pasta, steaks, fresh seafood, Check it out at Giuseppe's of Lexington. Giuseppe'sLexington.com on the web to make reservations and to see the menu. We'll be right back. This is where the Big Blue Nation gathers. It's Talk Radio 1080 and the Leach Report, followed by Kentucky Sports Radio. Fourteen past the top of the hour. We welcome in Chris Fisher from CatsPaws.com. So... Now that Kentucky missed out on a Dem Bona, Chris, which transfer will be coming in next season as a big man? <laughs> uh, yeah, if if only it were it were that simple, but uh, it, not you know completely unexpected that Kentucky misses on a Dem Bona. But I, I think you're right. I think Kentucky's going to hold out and and wait to to see thing how things progress this season with. Oscar Shibway and Damian Collins, and you know maybe you get one, possibly both of those guys back, depending on how they play this season, and then uh, hit the transfer portal. And John Calipari has obviously shown that he can, you know, go into the portal and get a quality piece, whether that's Reed Travis or Nate Sestina or uh, Oscar Shibway. And you know, last year um, there's going to be a lot of uh, quality options, and it's not the worst thing in the world when you can go out and get a guy that. Uh, you know, has been around the block a couple times and has has played college basketball and uh, can bring some uh, experience, especially seeing as how, you know, John Calipari has said he doesn't want to completely rely on the transfer portal. He wants to go out and get the best high school talent available, and they've done that in 2022 with Shaden Sharp and Chris Livingston and, um, you know, Sky Clark and, you know, the potential addition of, of Case and Wallace uh, next week. And so uh, there will be uh, plenty of options available, I'm sure of that. I was just saying, with respect to Kentucky football, there's no use as a fan to get caught up in you know, projecting what's got to happen for other teams and things until you take care of Tennessee this week. And for Kentucky fans and this thing, there's no use getting caught up in too much speculation because just see how the, the season unfolds because now that Kentucky didn't land one of these high school recruits, if you're a – the guy that has a big season somewhere else, and maybe you're a you know a big guy at a, a mid major or something. For for everybody out there that's not quite happy where they are, or everybody out there who thinks they can play at a higher level, if they go out and demonstrate that, all of a sudden they'll know that Kentucky will take their call. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think the transfer portal is going out of business anytime soon. It's always <laughs> going to be. Uh guys looking to move like you said for a number of of different reasons and you know Kentucky's always going to have that appeal for guys like a Reed Travis who had a lot of individual success at Stanford but didn't play in the NCAA tournament until uh you know he came to uh to Kentucky and so 
there's going to be all kinds of reasons why guys are, are looking to, to make a move, and Kentucky's always going to be a, an attractive option. Yeah, I mean, it's, it really is. I mean, I don't think uh, people want to look at it this way, but it's, it's going to be a lot like free agency. Where you know in the you know saying you're in the NBA or MLB or NFL and you know you, let's say you're in the NBA and you're playing for the the Cavs and all of a sudden you know uh, a prime contender has an opening whether it's an injury or something and uh, you know it uh, you, you know you you have done well where you are and it's not that you're necessarily unhappy it's just like you'd like to have a shot at a championship and so there will be you know that kind of opportunity that's just where the that's how the world's going to be now yeah exactly and going back to you know my my previous point about Oscar Sheboy and, and Damian Collins two really different types of of players i'm still not sure as to where uh, you know Oscar Sheboy will be projected in the 2022 draft uh, on the flip side of that, um, you know, Oscar Sheboy's been been really, really productive, and you know he's shown that he can do it at the college level. But his draft stock is still a little bit of an unknown. On the flip side of that is Damian Collins, who even you know in the exhibition opener versus Kentucky Wesleyan showed his immense physical tools and long-term potential, I think a lot is going to be determined by, you know, how he plays this season, how quickly he can acclimate to the college game in terms of handling the physicality. But, you know, in terms of sheer athletic ability, he reminds you a lot of Isaiah Jackson, um, just the links and the, the quickness and the defensive instincts and athletic ability and those types of things. And so if he can put it all together and has a, a really big season, he's going to be, you know, an NBA lottery pick. And I think, you know, will be one of the big X factors that separate Kentucky from being a really good team to being a potential Final Four national championship contender. And interior defense was a, an issue for Cal in the exhibition opener. And at some point he said, uh, I don't have the quote in front of me, but it was basically I'm a I'm like a college professor and I'm giving you the answers <clears throat> to the test that if you make our interior defense better, you can play. And Damien Collins would seem to be a guy that has the tools to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, definitely one of the shot, the best shot blockers at the, the high school level last season. And, uh, I mean, again, you look at his length, his athleticism, his lateral quickness, his ability to defend multiple positions it's all going to come down to him getting stronger um, him being able to hold his position him adjusting to the physicality of the college game and um, how quickly his offense I think can can come along you know what type of offensive player is he what type of offensive player does he want to be you know I, I know Calipari dinged him early on saying he was floating around too much on the perimeter, but, you know, has shown an ability to face up and, you know, knock down that, that perimeter jumper. So, you know, again, I think he's a guy that, that could, could take Kentucky to the next level, depending on how he develops as the season goes along. Uh, any, uh, noteworthy takeaways for you from the exhibition opener? Uh, you know, to me, the, the most surprising thing, I was actually, surprised when Kentucky missed a perimeter jumper. I mean, and, you know, that is the opposite of what we saw uh, last season. But, you know, they were getting a lot of really good looks. They have a lot of shooters uh, on the floor uh, at all times. And, 
Um, you know, and then you have, you know, Ty Ty Washington, who I just, he just looks like the next freshman star at Kentucky. He just does. He has that air about him, uh, his ability to score. He has kind of a mature game, I think, for a freshman, really uh, has an understanding of, of how to play and has a high basketball IQ. And so uh, it wouldn't surprise me at all to see him lead Kentucky in scoring this season and, and become that next uh, lottery pick for John Calipari. Ball teams that look good with mediocre quarterback play, and I don't think you find many basketball teams that look ever look good with mediocre point guard play, and that's kind of what Kentucky was last season. That definitely will not be an issue this year, doesn't it look like no, definitely not. You take into account uh, Ty Ty Washington, who showed the ability not just to score but to distribute uh, the basketball as well. And then you have Severe Wheeler, who you know I think is the point guard that Kentucky was missing uh, last season. That really has a knack for getting other guys involved, and you know was among the uh, you know leaders in, in all of college basketball in assists last season and. Uh, really doesn't need to score the ball himself, although he can do that. And so when you look at the way this Kentucky roster is constructed with so many uh, shooters on the perimeter and, and scorers around him, I think Severe Wheeler is really a perfect fit for uh, for this Kentucky team this season. Chris Fisher, you can uh, read him at catspaws.com, follow on Twitter at chrisfisher247, and hear him here on Wednesdays. Thank you. All right, thanks. Uh, it is the Leach Report. We're served up by Wild Eggs of Lexington in Palomar and in Hamburg. If you're extra hungry, try the Mad Platter. That's three eggs, bacon or sausage, home fries or grits, your choice of bread or a muffin, and a large pancake. That would get your uh, game day started this Saturday for the Cats and the Vols before you get out and set up the tailgate. We're going to head to a break. We're going to come back with Dick Girardi and talk a little bit about the Breeders' Cup and then Kyle Tucker from The Athletic in the second half of our show. This is the Leach Report on Talk Radio 1080. You can interact with the show via Twitter at Leach Report. Now, here's Tom. It's the Leach Report, and we're going to talk a little bit about the Breeders' Cup right now with Dick Girardi from betonline.ag as the races will play out at Del Mar on Friday and Saturday. And uh, we always catch up to uh, Dick before the big races. Um, Give me... uh, one or two horses that you think are underappreciated as you look at this Breeders' Cup card? Good question, Tom. I, I think probably even still Hot Rod Charlie. Uh, he, he's, you know, he hasn't won a lot of these races this year, but, man, he just gives you huge effort time after time, and I'm probably a little biased because I just saw him win the Pennsylvania Derby so impressively at Parks, and he could be – the fourth choice in the classic, depending on what happens with Medina Spirit, I think clearly Nick's go and Essential Quality are going to be the two favorites and, and should be uh, off their form and everything that they've done. But yeah, I think, I think Hot Rod Charlie is probably one. Um, and I'm going to give you a two-year-old uh, that nobody is talking about at all for Attaboy. really obvious reasons. Uh, a horse called Oviat Class, uh, the DeSormo brothers. Um, Everybody's talking about the the two the Baffert the the Corniche and Jack Christopher for Chad Brown and I and I get it that they're unbeaten they're they've won races big they've won important races Tom I think there's a chance that race has too much speed in it 
and potentially could collapse, uh, similar to one that the Sormos won the race with Texas Red several years ago at Santa Anita. So Oviat class is maybe a long shot that Juvenile with a chance. Interesting. Um, Hot Rod Charlie probably ran as impressive uh, a race in which a horse didn't win as we've seen in a long time in the Belmont to take the, the fight to the rivals as he did at the start of a mile-and-a-half race and still be digging in in, in deep stretch was just incredibly impressive. And it's going to be interesting to see strategically how the classic plays out, I think, because there's a good bit of speed in there, and he's drawn toward the inside of it. Yeah, I, I think that's really the race. Um, we know what Nick's go is doing. I mean, Brad Cox has made no secret. All you have to do is look at the horse's paper. They're going. Um, the question I have, is Medina Spirit fast enough to make Nick's go too fast, go too fast too early? I, I'm not sure I know the answer to that. I don't think so, but I think it's possible. Um, Hot Rod Charlie is, is a two-way horse. I do not think he will be on the lead in the race. I don't really think they necessarily want to be on the lead, um, but he's like you said, he will be close. And I think the best position rider in the country right now is Flavian Pratt. He's always where, as a gambler, uh, it's like uncanny time how often all right, he's exactly where I was hoping he would be. So I could see him sitting maybe third uh, behind Nixco and Medina Spirit. And uh, I, it's funny, I, I'm with you on the Belmont, and I, I can never say a bad word about essential quality. I mean, he's just been awesome, uh, and his work at Churchill on Sunday was ridiculously good. Um, I think Hot Rod Charlie's a little better. Um, if the record doesn't show it, uh, I thought he was a little better in the Derby, finished third, essential quality fourth, and I thought Hot Rod had a little trouble on the first turn. Clearly, I thought he was better in the Belmont, given how the race was run. But I don't want to make this as a knock on essential quality because that's not fair because the horse's record is unbelievable. But I do think for the price, you're going to get a little better value on Hot Rod Charlie Saturday. About 30 seconds left here. Is there a f- big favorite that you think is vulnerable or more? Maybe Latruska after that bizarre workout the other day, right, where uh, he, she kind of jumped in in the middle of another horse's workout, a two-year-old from the, uh, the Baltus barn out here. So uh, that was a little strange. She's obviously talented, but that's a good feel, and there's a lot of heat in that race as well. So maybe Latruska. Good stuff. Uh, wish we had more time to, to do, but it's uh, football, basketball overlap time here. So <laughs> enjoy the races this weekend, Dick. You got it. Thanks, Tom. That's Dick Girardi. You can uh, read uh, his work and uh, see a lot of really cool prop bets on the Breeders' Cup at betonline.ag. We'll be right back with Kyle Tucker from the Athletic. Find out more about the voice of the Cats and get great coverage of the Big Blue at TomLeachKY.com. Coming to you from the Clark's Pump and Shop Studio. Return, refresh, and refuel at about 70 Clark's Pump and Shop's Across the bluegrass, Kyle Tucker joins us now from theathletic.com. Uh, Kyle, we'll start on the uh, football side. Uh, any thoughts on the first set of playoff rankings? Uh, no, I mean, I guess uh, I think you could you could make arguments either way, but I think Cincinnati should be in the mix. Um, thought they got a little disrespected, but. Uh, you know, people are always going to question the schedule. Didn't help them that they didn't get any style points the last couple of weeks against bad teams. But uh, undefeated is undefeated, and uh, 
you know, I would, I'd like to see teams like that in it. So I, I hope we get this thing expanded quickly because um, teams like that need access to the playoff, and it feels like to me, unless they just uh, unless a bunch of teams stumble and they just blow everybody out the rest of the way, they're probably going to get left out in the cold. Yeah, the uh, I think hopefully the expansion does come to to twelve would uh, would be a very good thing. I'm, just as a as a fan, I'm guessing you're probably the same way. I don't care nearly as much about what you do against bad teams as what you do against good teams. As long as you beat the bad ones, I don't really care so much how. Uh, I think there's too yeah. much emphasis on that. I, I care more about how you do against the good ones. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's right. I think I think that's also one of the challenges for Cincinnati is are there enough good ones? Yeah, you know, uh, you know, objectively really good teams for them to play and beat. You know, Notre Dame, I guess, uh, fits that bill, but not, not great. Um, so, you know, it's the other, the other big thing, regardless of playoff expansion for Cincinnati would be going to the Big 12, um, give them an opportunity to, um, you know, to, to prove it in that league and, and take a step up. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be a bummer to me if they don't get in, just cause I, you know, let, let's see what they can do. Well, one of the teams ahead of them will, will get, will you know, get will lose because Ohio State and Michigan State play each other. And uh, that's true. Yeah, that's. But true. if if Georgia uh, and Alabama play in the SEC championship game, there's no play, no guarantee they'd move ahead of Alabama, which would be interesting. Uh, although with two losses, you know, it would depend a lot on how um, for Alabama if they got to the championship game and then lost to Georgia. I would think. Yeah, and if, if Bama can somehow beat Georgia, then you know, I think you definitely have to put both in, um, which will drive everybody crazy again. To you know, with only four spots, the SEC getting two of them. Um, when really, I think it's it's a two team league <laughs> right now. Uh, yeah, it's those two, and but, then a, a, you know, as you got SEC teams, five of them between thirteen and, and eighteen. Kentucky being the eighteenth, but that that sounds about right. I mean, I think after Georgia and Alabama. There's a lot of teams that there's not a whole lot of difference between on a given day. Yeah, you know, and and, and we're seeing that. I mean, we've we've seen that with Kentucky. Yeah, Mississippi State was kind of a middling team, and Kentucky had taken out Florida and LSU, and and everybody had played except for Georgia to that point. And actually, played Georgia pretty well, uh, and then gets stomped down there in Starkville. So I, yeah, I think there's a there's a little cluster of teams kind of in the middle of the SEC. They're all pretty good. Uh, on a given day, could be real good, but uh, when you see Georgia in particular, when you see Georgia, and I think Alabama has been that for a lot of years, and they're not far off from it this year, uh, it's just a different animal altogether. You know, until Saturday, Kentucky had played Georgia, I think, as well as anybody other than than Clemson, so you know, you you felt uh, you know, it's with Kentucky, even though their wins, Florida's down a little bit, and, you know, LSU's down a little bit, the, the wins don't, on paper, uh, score as good, score as well as, you know, the they do on a, the, the name brand level. But still, you know, obviously very uh, good wins against talented teams. But just, you know, if you'd taken care of business at Mississippi State, that didn't matter as, as much because, uh, you know, you were sitting there with only, your only loss being to Georgia. So... They take a little hit because of that, and there's nothing they probably can do in the last four games that's really going to uh, wow anybody. So they just have to take care of business and then hope some chaos happens above them. 
Oh, in terms of the playoff, yeah. I mean, well, I not the playoff, probably, but just like a like a New Year's Six bowl. Oh yeah, I mean, even that. I say even that now is is very much up in the air. I think even if you're ten and two, a lot yeah. of people you know will be a little skeptical of it of that ten and two because, as you said, before they go to Starkville, they don't have any clunkers, you know, on the resume. You know, you you played Georgia, respect you know respectably. Um, nobody expected you to win that one anyway. It's on the road against the like clear cut number one team. You you played pretty well. Otherwise, you had no no stinkers. And you know Saturday was a stinker. I think there's no doubt about it. It, it just kind of gums up the works when anybody's evaluating your team. And 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 if anyone is inclined to sort of dismiss your six and zero start, then that gives them ammunition to do so. You know, and then you start looking. And as I did, I looked it up. You know, I think I think all the teams they beat in that six and zero start, the combined record, they're like one game over five hundred. So not. As you said, not there's name brand value in some of those wins, but there's on paper it doesn't look great, um, and there aren't there aren't really opportunities for any other great wins uh, out there. Tennessee being the best of them, you know, Louisville wouldn't be a great win; it'd be a bad loss. Um, Vanderbilt is one you got to survive, you know, and the, and you got a gimme game in there as well. So, um, you know, I, I just I, I'm not sure how impressive Kentucky can be, but I think. In any in 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 any individual weekend, the rest of the way. But I would say, if what they can do is impress with the body of work at the end. Yeah. You know, if if you if you win ten games at Kentucky in the SEC, uh, if you go uh, six and two in the SEC, um, that is an impressive body of work, regardless of sort of the nitpicking that you can do about it. Because again, ten wins would be. What third time in forty years, um, you know, and doing it in the regular season without even you know not needing to get it in your bowl game, give you a chance for eleven wins, which has never happened. Um, you know that that would be strong work. When um, you look at what happened the in Mississippi State, I mean Georgia, you you can forgive a lot because of how good their defense is, but. You put those two games together, and you look at Kentucky's rushing numbers, and that's that's not who Kentucky typically is. Back to back, under a hundred yards. I don't know. I said earlier this week. I don't know what kind of odds you could have gotten that Mississippi State would outrush Kentucky. Um, that's the stat that Kentucky, you know, has to to win. I think still to uh, that's that's who they are. And uh, yesterday, Liam Cohen said that uh, they need to get back to uh, the get the running game back and get back to their balance. And if they do that, then I think they've got a, a great shot on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, I, I think if anything is is shocking, you know, uh, about what has transpired here is is that the ground game went away. Is that you know even not just the last couple games, but season long that Chris Rodriguez has had this bizarre fumbling issue. And, you know, I know there's obviously something going on with him physically, it sounds like, but, um, it, you know, it, it's pretty surprising. I mean, going into Georgia, Rodriguez was the runaway, you know, leader in SEC rushing. And, and even after barely doing anything against Georgia, he was still leading the SEC in rushing. And, um, and for him to just kind of power down the way he has after everything, he's got a he's got a large body of work over the last couple seasons. Um, is surprising, and I don't really know you know how to put my finger on what has gone wrong. As good as Smoke is as a change of pace back, I don't think he can be your every down guy, and I think that's clear. 
uh, because he doesn't give you that, you know, uh, lower his shoulder and run everybody over ability to always fall forward. And, and that's what they need back. And, you know, I think Stoops made a comment about getting back to who we are. For all the wanting to pass more, and Cohen obviously is, was brought in to balance the offense more and, and Will Levis to get it down the field more, you know, Kentucky's at its best when, even if they are throwing it a little bit better, uh, when they run it all over people, when they kind of impose their will. I think when you hear, you know, and, and we have over these last few years, when you hear um, sort of reverent discussion of Kentucky's rise around the league and around the country and other coaches and players talk about Kentucky and how they've made these strides, it's always, you always hear about the physical nature. Uh, you know, that they, they basically just punch you in the face for, for four quarters. And a lot, you know, that's defense, but, but they've done that a lot on offense too. And, and getting away from that, I think, is, is a recipe for disaster for Kentucky. We're talking with Kyle Tucker from theathletic.com. And we'll continue when the show returns after this timeout. It is the Leach Report Radio Network, served up by Wild Eggs of Lexington. get to a radio you can listen to us live on the web at talkradio1080.com now back to the show chat with kyle tucker from the athletic.com uh, one more football and then we'll uh, shift to a couple basketball things um it, one of the the elements of uh elevating a, a program in this league that uh kentucky is probably kentucky players are, are learning about is just how teams look at you when you've had some success. It's something Kentucky basketball players have uh, had to, to live with for a long time. Kentucky uh, goes into that game last week, and they had played a, a gauntlet of you know teams that, even if Florida and LSU are down a little bit, they still have tremendous talent, so those are tough games. And then you get those two, and you got Georgia. Even if with an open date, it's still, you know, you've, you've uh, gone to the emotional well there three, three weeks in a row, and um, it's tough, but you just have to find a way to, to get through the next one because when Mississippi State came out, man, it was clear how fired up they were uh, in the crowd too, but especially the players on the sideline when they came out of the locker room to start that game. And then I see a quote from uh, a Tennessee player this week, this game is personal. You know, they, they hear how Kentucky is, you know, passing their program and uh, they know how they got beat last season down in Knoxville. So, um, you know, they're going to come in with a little bit of a of an edge to to their players, I would think. Yeah, and I yeah, I think I think that's you know, circling back to the earlier point when you asked me about the playoff and and you know, I, I said I would love to see Cincinnati get in and let, you know, how, how you judge teams and strength of schedule and all that. And I think the one argument is pretty fair when people you know, try to say, well, put a one or a two loss SEC team in, you know, any day over undefeated Cincinnati. I think one of the biggest arguments is that week after week after week, you have to do exactly what you're talking about. You, you, you can't let your guard down. You have to be on edge. You have to have an edge. Uh, you have to play this sort of physical, violent brand of football every week, um, to survive. And that's, I think, what, why everyone marvels at what Saban and Alabama have done for such a prolonged period of time is that he gets them to do that 
um, you know, obviously he's getting elite recruits, and so he's just plugging in great players. But he's also, it's more than that. You know, he, he's also getting them to do the extra, to, to stay mentally sharp, to not take any of these teams for light, uh, lightly. To, you know, I think a word that, that coaches use a lot is strain, you know, to strain, uh, to give your very last, you know, bit of energy on every, you know, key moment. Um, that is a a really brutally hard thing to do in general and especially in the SEC. Um, and so, yeah, I do think as you try to take a step, another step forward, that's part of it, being able to do that. I think it also helps when you're, when you're really, really deep, like, you know, Georgia and Alabama are for, to, to strain that way because, you know, a lot of times you strain that way, you get hurt, you know, um, you better have somebody good behind them. You know, Kentucky had two really high end, defensive linemen go down one after another and they were deep enough to have a second guy or deep enough to have a third there are not many teams that are um and so that is the challenge you know in the sec and climbing the rungs in the sec um some of it is about how your schedule breaks and and i, I think it's true to what you said that you know they they faced three weeks in a row that were just kind of absolute do or die kind of games where everybody was excited the fan base was desperate the players you know badly wanted to prove they were legitimate three weeks in a row and you kind of give everything you got and then you go and you lose the second one or the third one uh deflate you a little bit and you go into a bye week and kind of power down you know can is it hard to get back up right looked like it was for kentucky and they've had some trouble coming out of bye week so um i would say though there's no excuse now uh, you're on notice. You've lost two in a row. You're yeah, coming back home. Uh, Tennessee is this huge rival, and they've they've come out and said out loud that they're ticked off and fired up, and and you know they think they should beat you every year. Uh, so they ought to have your attention as well. But it's tough. It's tough to do it for 12 weeks. That's for sure. A couple of minutes here. Let's uh, shift to a little basketball. By the time you're next. On the show, Kentucky will have played Duke. So what do you think John Calipari needs to see out of this next exhibition game or maybe more importantly in his practices between now and next Tuesday night to uh, get the win at the Garden? Uh, I think they've got a, you know, I think they've got enough to, to go win about against just about uh, anybody. I think the one big advantage they're going to have on, on Duke and most of it, well, not most, I would probably every team they play is going to be that experience, not necessarily experience playing together, but a bunch of guys who know how to play college basketball. Um, you know, I, I, I don't even know if we've talked about it since it, they, uh, Eric Lindsay in Kentucky, they looked it up that I think it was the most, you know, returning or not returning, but most college minutes played, you know, on a, a collective roster, I think ever at Kentucky, uh, what Kentucky has this year, thanks largely to those transfers and some guys coming back. Um, you know, and so can you catch it? Can you catch a Duke that's got some terrific freshmen? I think Paolo Benchero is going to be as good as, as good as it comes. They may may be the number one pick, um, but can you catch that group of freshmen and younger guys um, early? Can you, you know, is there an advantage to be had by sort of all the emotion that's going to be tied up in uh, leg one of the very long uh, goodbye tour uh, for for Mike Shashevsky? You know, we know that's going to be a huge, you know, circus and, and, and show and, and deserved, certainly. Uh, but at the Garden for that big event and, you know, the first game of 
Krzyzewski's farewell tour, there's going to be a bunch of pomp and circumstance around that. So uh, can a really veteran, old, experienced Kentucky team for a change, you know, kind of punch first? Uh, that I, I think that's probably the recipe. You know, can can Oscar uh, Shibway, as good as Paolo is, can he bully him a little bit and, and stay out of foul trouble at the same time? Um, yeah, I think those are – that's where Kentucky's edge is. I don't know if there's any specific thing I feel like Cal needs to see uh, between now and then. I think he's got everything he needs. He could use could use one more big man, but he's got a, he's got a good one. Uh, he's got plenty of guard play. I think Ty Ty Washington, you know, the one freshman they're really going to lean on, looks looks kind of mature and smooth beyond his his years. So for you know, a lot of old guys and the one the one kid that I know they're going to play, I think is going to play really well. So um, yeah, I, I think they're in a good spot. But uh, I know I know one thing: John Calipari is even if you'll never admit it. It's got to be thinking my last shot at, at Mike Krzyzewski, who's had some success, quite a bit of success against Cal. He, I'm sure he'd love to to send him off with a with an L in the in the last Champions Classic and make a statement that Kentucky basketball is back, baby. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean that's for sure too. Uh, it, it, it's it's incredible that that is the opportunity that that when you're coming off your worst season in almost a hundred years. That you your first crack back at it, you know, other than the exhibition games, is just a little game in Madison Square Garden against Duke and Mike Krzyzewski's last last opening game. Yeah, no, uh, no extra uh, incentive or extra baggage or anything there. No, <laughs> <laughs> Kyle, thank you much. Thank you. As Kyle Tucker joins us from theathletic.com, and we will be right back to close it. Up. This day in Wildcat history, 1993, Nikki Nichols hit a field goal to beat East Carolina 6-3 to in that clinched Kentucky spot in the Peach Bowl. And a happy birthday to former Wildcat basketball player Chuck Viderber. CBS panel of experts pegs Kentucky third in the SEC. Alabama's pick first, Arkansas second. And uh, see where Ole Miss basketball, men's basketball, has extended the contract of Coach Kermit Davis. New four-year deal takes him through 2026. That will do it for us today. Big Gabriel pinch hitting tomorrow, so I'll see you back here on Friday. It's the Leach Report, served up by Wild Eggs of Lexington. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Leach Report. Make sure you check out the podcast page at TomLeachKY.com.